0: Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. If you have them along, Matthew 21, 1 through 14. I'm going to welcome you back to church uh, on this Palm Sunday morning. It's been quite some time since we have even devoted uh, a Palm Sunday to the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus. We're not a traditional church and, accordingly, don't... uh, March to the beat of the calendar year after year necessarily. But we're going to take today and examine this story. So would you stand with me to read God's word together? If you don't have the scriptures along with you, we're going to put it on the screen for you again. Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 14. Let's read together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once." This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, And put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, "'Who is this?' And the crowd said, "'This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee.' And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons." And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. You may be seated. You may have heard the story of a little boy. That was sick on Palm Sunday, so he stayed home from church with his mom. And his father, who went to church, came home holding a palm branch. Uh, we have on a number of, cages, uh, of occasions excuse me, in our 10-year history, and often when I grew up as a kid, had palm branches that we would pass out to everybody uh, who would attend church. Um, it's not as common, even in the evangelical circles, as it used to be. Um, but the dad said, well, boy, he had inquired about why his dad had a palm branch. He said, well, this is what they waved in front of Jesus and put down at his feet. And, and so we got palm branches today at church. When Jesus came into town, everybody waved them. And the little boy replied, well, shucks, the one Sunday I miss is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. <laughs> this day, according to the Gospels, is the day that a whole city throws a parade for Jesus Christ. As Jesus rode in, people, again, threw palm branches down in anticipation of his coming. This is where the day gets its name. It was marked with celebration. It was marked with joy. There's a connotation of exuberance, of happiness to the term or word Hosanna. And so this was a happy affair. Um, We also know, though, that it's a bit bittersweet because it is the beginning of a week that commemorates Jesus' death. It's the beginning of the end, so to speak, an end that we ought never forget and will remind you of on Easter Sunday, a week from today, that is but a beginning itself because Jesus, of course, stepped out of the grave and the only one to have ever done it without help. Even on Palm Sunday then, we know the cross is coming. We know that some within this same throng or crowd of people will turn on Jesus only a handful of days later, and instead of crying Hosanna, they will cry, Crucify him, crucify him. Uh, While we would certainly be okay, it would be good to focus on the humanity that was represented in this story. What we're going to do this morning is look at the text and and discover what it reveals to us about Jesus Christ. What does the text today reveal to us about Jesus? The first thing that I would posit to you for consideration is it reveals that Jesus is a confrontational king. He's a confrontational king. It didn't always... Uh, I should say Jesus didn't always manifest himself in, in this way. In fact, up until the 20th chapter of the book of Matthew, we read from, from chapter 21, Jesus encouraged people not to talk about miracles in which he'd healed them. He sent them away silently privately he didn't want their testimony interfering with what he was doing so he said "Shh, go on your way don't tell about what's happened on Palm Sunday we see this sort of reversal in the personal policy that Jesus has with the way that he does ministry and at the end of chapter 20 these two blind men approach him as he's leaving Jericho And they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, that is to say, have mercy on us. They're placing their faith in him as the son of God, as the Messiah who is to come in the line of David. And what's interesting is that Jesus just accepts their address. He's not argumentative. He doesn't... Uh, disagree with them he doesn't dismiss them basically saying yeah we know your god he just goes along with it in the verses we read at the tail end of our reading jesus enters the temple and he does not say my father's house he does not say god's house do you remember what he said we read it he said my house yet another indication That he's confident at this point, or willing, I should say, to reveal who in fact he is. He's accepting claims, all of a sudden, that he is God. A few hours later, after uh, the two blind men are healed, on the same day, Jesus rides on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And the people cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna! God, save us. And again, Jesus publicly accepts their declaration of who he is. Okay? In a demonstrative way, Jesus appears to be saying, you all either need to crown me or you need to get rid of me. One or the other. It's a simple choice. Consider what that means to us. Tim Keller makes this point. Jesus is incredibly humble, but he's not modest. I've always thought the two to be synonyms, closely tied together. In other words, he's soft, he's kind, he takes care of widows and orphans, he helps the marginalized and the poor, and yet... He makes these outrageous claims about himself. He's humble, but he's not modest. A man by the name of Reynolds Price in his essay on the Gospel of John. Now, we, we read from Matthew, but this is just as true for Matthew's account, what he says about the Gospel of John. Uh, directly, he said this, If 2,000 years of pious handling had not dimmed our understanding of the story's demand, the story that we're reading, His gospel would still be, John's gospel, would still be seen as the burning outrage it continues to be. It's either a work of madness or a blinding revelation. The acts it portrays, the claims it advances, from the very paragraph demand that we make a hard choice. If we take the gospel writer seriously, we must finally ask the question he thrusts so flagrantly toward us, does Jesus bring us a life-transforming truth, or is this one gifted lunatic's tale of another lunatic wilder than he? End quote. In other words, is Jesus who he claimed he was, or... Is John a crazy person writing about an even crazier person? Are we in the presence of the God of the universe? Or are we in a nut house? There's not any room for anything in between. Jesus grew confrontational. In fact, it's why he was killed. For professing to be God. Second... Jesus is a countercultural king. He's not normative. He's not usual. He's not kingly in the historic sense whatsoever. Um, the way in which he reigned wasn't what we would expect in terms of a royal takeover by any stretch. In his commentary of the Gospel of Matthew, Stanley Hauerwas makes the point that the triumphal entry of Jesus, in his opinion, was actually, I think this is, this is an interesting point, this isn't gospel, but it's fascinating to consider, was actually satirical. It was a st- satirical notion on the part of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he writes. On the one hand, this looks like all other triumphal entries. 200 years earlier, Simon Maccabeus had defeated foreign armies and kept Israel independent, and he rode into Jerusalem with people shouting cheers and waving palm branches because he delivered them. But this triumphal entry parodies the entries of kings and armies. Victors in battle do not ride into their capital cities on asses, but on fearsome horses. but this kind does not and will not triumph through forces of arms end quote. In other words, Jesus chose a baby donkey, and that in and of itself is almost comical. It's as if it was intentionally comical. To make a point that Jesus' choice was deliberate. That it fulfills prophecy. And let us be on the same page. He's making the point that he's coming to rule and he's coming to reign. Not by taking power and squashing people. But by losing power and dying. That's how and why Jesus came. Jesus is so big, in other words, that he can voluntarily triumph in weakness in setting aside his divine attributes momentarily. And by application... Jesus may have been communicating that you and I, his followers, must also triumph out of a reference point of weakness. In other words, by repenting of sin, by admitting our needs, by saying, I'm not strong, I don't have it together, I'm imperfect. I'm dependent. I need the help of Jesus. People thought they needed a militaristic king that would bring down Rome, which was the burr in everybody's saddle. Rome, the Jews thought, was the, the reason the world was kind of becoming unraveled. People thought Rome had ruined everything. What people really needed, however was somebody that would bring down not Rome, but bring down sin in the human heart, which God's people were also inclined to, not just the Romans. Even God's people were part of the overall problem. They wouldn't admit it, but they succumbed to sin. So what they, and I would say you and I, really needed or need is reconciliation with God. That is why Jesus came. Reconciliation so that when Jesus does come in a militaristic way, in his second coming, we read in Revelation, he's going to have king of kings and lord of lords tattooed on his thigh, riding on a white horse with a sword protruding from his mouth, So that when he does come in a militaristic way, he's going to squash evil and not us. Amen? Because we've been reconciled to God. What they and you and I needed and need was reconciliation. Jesus is counter-cultural. What we think we need is almost always shallow, is it not? Jesus knows what we truly need, and if we learn this, I think we'll live life so contented and so anxious-free or anxiety-free. God gives us not what we think we need, but rather what we need. And in time, more than that, he's counter-cultural. And then last, Jesus is the coming king. He's a coming king. There's a way in which this event foreshadows the second coming, according to Don Carson, who wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew, which tells the same story. And in it, he made the observation that this particular particular baby donkey is not a broken animal, but an unbroken animal. Anybody ever grew up on uh, a farm or ranch with horses or donkeys? I know the Denfelds are major donkey people. <laughs> they love donkeys. Okay, Craig's got a donkey or two. What we, what we know about wild animals is that, um, and in particular, a baby donkey, and in particular, in a throng or swarm of chanting people, that if they're not broken, they will not ride well. A human being can't stay on them. It just doesn't work. You could even go as far as to say that Jesus riding successfully and serenely atop a baby donkey that has not been broken in a crowd of people is in itself a miracle. And this is exactly what Don Carson said. In the midst of all this, an unbroken young animal remains totally calm under the hands of the Messiah who controls nature and stills the storm. This even points to the peace of the consummated kingdom. Jesus is the Lord of all and under his hand nothing but peace and harmony comes about. The animal knows this and loves his true master for who he is. This is a foreshadowing of the healing and completion of all nature. What in the world is Don Carl? Carlson saying, Carlson, excuse me, one day, Jesus will come back for all people. Again, he'll be here a second time. This is his second coming. Um, lots, lots of scholars talk about the already not yet dynamic, meaning we've already been saved by Jesus on the cross, but we've not yet been saved. Ultimately, completely, perpetually, he's coming back again for us. Don Carson is saying that Jesus will come back for his people. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the same tranquility that this baby donkey experienced in his hands, you and I will experience literally in his hands. We're not going to have anxiety. We're not going to have worry. We're not going to have sickness. We're not going to have fear. We will not be heavy laden. We will not be burdened. We will experience rest and health and wholeness and joy. Because like the donkey, we'll be in the hands of our coming king. He will come back for us. That's his promise. And harmony and peace awaits us. Amen? Do you believe that? Like, are you excited to see Jesus? Shannon and I attended a a church uh, near my mom and dad's home uh, this last weekend. We signed our kids into their kids' ministry, and as a result, apparently, we get a weekly devotional by their children's pastor. So we got our first one this week, which we weren't expecting. And this this gal... um, Janice Estes is her name. This children's minister wrote a devotional to parents. And we just found it to be really good. And so I want to conclude with this and share it with you. This is what Janice Estes said, a children's pastor from North Carolina. For centuries, Israel had awaited the coming of their king, but this king did not look as they would have expected. Kings rode on horses. This king rode on a donkey. Kings were adorned in royal apparel. This king Wore the clothes of a humble peasant. Kings were accompanied by an entourage of fighting men. This king rode in alone, followed only by a few friends. Kings had many servants. This king served many. Kings wore crowns of gold and precious gems. This king would wear a crown of thorns. Kings were protected at all costs. This king would give his life, paying the cost of sin. Kings made loud proclamations, and the people were silent. This king was silent when the people were loud. It's an interesting juxtaposition I've never really thought of. This king was unlike any other king, and yet this king's entry into town was hailed by the people. Mark eleven nine, And they that went before, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That's Mark's account. Then Mark would say, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is the way she concluded. The people expected a king, and they hailed him as a king. They expected the kingdom of David to be reestablished, but that's not what they got. It was what they wanted. It was not what they needed. Jesus had not come to be the king of the land. He had came to be the king of their what? Of their hearts. God's plan was very different than what the people had hoped for. You know, there's a variety of reasons that people may come to church. Church. They may be hoping for a change in their marriage. They may be hoping for their kids to be well-behaved after their adolescent years. They may be hoping for their finances to improve. They may be hoping to appear civilized to their neighbors. I, I hope that whatever hope you have or reason that you have for being in the presence of the king of kings. I hope that you discover that you have the wrong hope. I hope that Jesus reveals himself to you as the king, not of your situation, but as the king of your heart as the one who wants to to deliver you from yourself and from your sin and who's preparing a home for you in eternity and asks for your service and your unmitigated devotion, I hope you discover that he's better than having your problems fixed. I hope you discover that it's him that's our treasure and not what he can do for us in this life. He is our great joy. He is our great hope. He's the one we long for. He's better than health, although he'll give it. He's better than riches, although eventually he'll give it, grant it. He's the one we're after. Amen? Amen. I hope you're glad to see Jesus this morning. Father, I just pray if there's anybody here, Lord, who has maybe had the wrong expectation of you, who perhaps is angry that you haven't done what was expected of you. Lord, that you didn't deliver according to to our plans. Lord, I pray that we would welcome and cherish and treasure the humble but not modest King. And Lord, I pray that figuratively speaking, we would not turn on you toward the latter part of this week God I pray when things get hairy when things get dark when things get dismal when it when it appears as though our savior has lost that we don't surrender and 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 give up carrying this this banner that you've asked us to carry. Lord, I pray that we would carry our cross until our own death so that we would see you when you come a second time to crush evil, but not to crush us. Lord, I pray that we would bow today. Every knee will bow one day. Lord, how rewarding it will be If we've bowed now to be told well done, good and faithful servant in our future home. Lord, we're already saved, but we're not yet saved. This time in the middle called life, I just pray that you would help us, empower us by your spirit to succeed. To serve you, to be steadfast, to persevere. In Jesus' name.